Welcome to Locally Sourced Joey. I know it's been a while, but it's good to be back. we got the basketball season coming up, so to help celebrate, Craig Leaner, offer of This Was Never About Basketball, joins us on the podcast today. And whether you're a basketball fan or not, this is a terrific read. It's a coming-of-age story more than anything else. There are basketball elements to it, but uh, a very overall enjoyable read. And uh, Craig is finishing up the process of turning it into an audiobook as well, so would love to share a little clip from that, and then we'll hop into our conversation. Enjoy. Chapter 9. Remember not to slug anybody. It was midnight. Curtis pulled the van up to the guard shack of an industrial complex in a sketchy part of the city. Dude, are you sure this is it? Curtis asked Dretch, our designated navigator for the covert operation. Yep, this is it. 12501 Irving Causeway. There's the sign. Consolidated Enterprises. Curtis hand-cranked the window down as a uniformed guard, armed with a flashlight and a clipboard, approached our van. You gentlemen lost? he asked. Curtis dropped his voice a full octave in an attempt to sound older. Oh, no sir. We're with Pocket Painting. Got a contract to paint the inside of a warehouse. The guard perused a list on his clipboard. Pocket, right? Right. Curtis said. This is Mr. Puckett over here. Curtis motioned to Stretch, who half saluted the guard. Stretch, thankfully, was in the shadows on the other side of the van, and I hoped all the guard could see was a big guy who could have been Mr. Puckett. The guard examined his paperwork more thoroughly. He wrinkled his forehead and looked up at Curtis. You're not supposed to be here until morning. Curtis was quick to respond. Uh, yes, I know. We're early. The guard didn't budge. Schedule says 8 a.m. Can't let you in until then. Back it up, gentlemen. Rebecca's lower lip curled. My heart sank. Curtis reached for the gear shift, but his forearm was met by Stretch's hand before he could put the van into reverse. Stretch leaned forward in his seat and cleared his throat. <clears throat> Excuse me, young man. Stretch was at least 20 years younger than the guard. I don't think you understand. We've got a contract to paint that warehouse. We're here early because we've got a busy schedule. If you don't let us in there tonight, that warehouse will not get painted. Stretch paused before delivering the dagger. And that's going to be on you, son. Uh-oh. Stretch had just sunned the security guard. Rebecca covered her mouth with her hands. Curtis remained frozen. I could feel the blood drain from my face. We were going to the slammer. I knew it. The guard scoured the contents of his clipboard one final time before turning to Stretch and giving him a death stare. Park it over there. For starters, uh, I'd love to just know what the inspiration behind this book was, because this is your, your debut novel. Um, so when did you decide, let's, uh, let's do a book? Like anybody who writes, uh, I always felt I had a book in me, and it seemed like it was time to make good on the threat. I sat down with my son and my wife over dinner one night and told them about my idea, and I had this character roughly sketched out. And um, my son said, it sounds like you've got a young adult on your hands. And I thought about that and did some research and thought, okay, that looks like a good approach. Um, I fumbled around trying to come up with a storyline, and I had my main character going to jail after robbing a liquor store and really couldn't really find my stride with it. And then uh, I found myself at the San Fernando Mission one of the 21 missions in California. 
uh, at a funeral for a friend of mine. His, uh, his, his mom died, a uh, 91-year-old mother. This is a guy that I played high school basketball with uh, back in the 70s. And uh, long service, Catholic funeral. Um, towards the end, when the priest gets up there to, to sort of wrap things up, I looked on the back wall, and there was a giant walnut carving of what looks like the religious history of the world. And uh, it was a walnut carving that was created in Spain in the 1600s and then was disassembled and, and carted to the East Coast of New York and then moved to California and eventually assembled and mounted at the, at the mission there. I looked up at this wall with an elevated level of expectation I had no right to have, and I said, uh, in my head, I said, I'm really struggling with my story. What have you got for me? And then I heard this voice in my head say five words. They're taking the game away. And in that brief moment, I had my story. Wow. How far along were you at that point? Or was it it's still kind of, you know, really early on and, and struggling to even get going? I wasn't very far along at all. And so um, what I did was I went home and, and I realized that something had happened there in that moment and I had it. So I sat down at the kitchen table with a three by four foot piece of builder's paper. And for the next four days, I just lived in my imagination and I outlined this story using uh, what storytellers call the eight point story arc. And on the fifth day, I sat down and I wrote my first chapter for about five and a half hours, just, just grinding away. And when I was done, I hit the final period on the first chapter and there it was. And I just went from there. Awesome. So how long was the, the overall writing process? Uh, the first draft took me around seven months. And I was um, writing maybe four or five days a week and pretty much all day long. Are you uh, are you more of a morning writer, afternoon writer, or, or finding? I mean, you said you were doing it all day long, so I guess it seems like you can find inspiration any time of day, it seems like. Well, you know, I always thought I would be a nighttime writer, uh, like because I like like the night life, no, not the night life, but the night hours. Mm -hmm. But I found that in the morning, um, you know, feed the dog, kind of get squared away, and then I hit the desk around ten thirty, and I would write till five thirty, six, seven o'clock at night. Sometimes I'll I'll find this uh, when I'm writing too is I you know maybe I'll get stuck on a, a certain section or just you know can't can't figure out a way to kind of bring everything together. And so, do you have any effective tools for kind of overcoming that? Because I'm sure it happens along the way, um, but. Just being able to overcome that, did you find anything was, was super effective in that sense? Yes. Uh, the tool that I have is in the backyard and has a pole and a, and a 10-foot basket. Um, I have the luxury of having like a, like a miniature third of a basketball court in the backyard. And when I hit the wall, hit writer's block, I would go out there and shoot free throws. Nice. Did you have a, a challenge that you had to make a certain amount before you got back or just whenever, whenever you felt refreshed? Yeah. When it just hit me... Um, I'm an 87% free throw shooter now. And of course, that number is completely unverified. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's as real as I say it is. Uh, and I would just shoot around until until I kind of got my rhythm back. And writing is, is a rhythm like, like playing, you know, bouncing a basketball is, and that would help me to sort of find it again. Absolutely. And, and you saying your, uh, your free throw percentage is 87%. Uh, one of the things that I enjoyed during the book is how much, uh, how many situations and the audio clip that we're playing uh, on this podcast is is an example of it where it's just if you have the confidence that you're you know where you're supposed to be or that you belong wherever you are um i think that's a that's a element that's throughout the book is there's so many times where it's like ah this is the end of the road it's you know something's going to happen but some you know the the 
characters get out of out of these situations um, because they you know they do believe that they they belong wherever they are and in the example I'm talking about is when they're uh, using uh, Stretch's dad's truck to to paint so that they can all play in a tournament you know they're they're about to give up but then Stretch is like no like we've come too far and just saying like putting it back on the the security guard who stops them and being like you know what that's that's going to be on you if if you mess this up and uh, I think that's a a good way of life almost is you can you can accomplish things if you have that that sense of confidence and you know the the idea of you belong doing what you're doing yeah you have to believe in yourself and and I tried to make this point in the book that the adults in it were incidental to to the young adults trying to work their way through a situation and then the adults were just sort of roadblocks that they needed to very politely uh, move around. And so is, is the main character of Zeke, is that uh, loosely, heavily, not at all based on, on you as a player? Well, I, ser- I played high school basketball uh, at Van Nuys High School in the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles. And uh, I referred to myself as the 13th best basketball player on a team of 13 players. <laughs> um, I was, you know, I was off the bench during mop-up time. Uh, so I didn't have his kind of experiences, but I knew it was like to uh, coexist on a team and, and do what needed to be done to win and to be successful. Did you ever uh, get into a fight on the court? Not personally, no. I've, uh, I'm not a big fighter. <laughs> yeah, I've seen them and I've seen a lot of language and it's not pretty, but I've never actually witnessed one myself. Yeah, there, I've, I've been fortunate enough to avoid any massive brawls in my lifetime. Yeah, it's always a wise way to conduct your life. Yeah, it's a... <laughs> It's a good goal to not not get into too many fights over your over your time. Another another part of the book that I enjoyed is, you know, a good a good chunk of it is driving from California to Kansas uh, and just a lot of the adventures that um, happen along along the way. And having taken many road trips in my life as well, I I'd love to hear just any crazy road adventures, some wacky things that have happened on the road to you. Boy, you know, um, personally, I've always had pretty good success on the road. Uh, maybe almost got run off the road a couple of times, you know, a couple of blowouts at high speed. But, you know, beyond that, probably your garden variety type stuff. That's I've been fortunate. Yeah, that's always that's always good. I always enjoy, um, li- I live in Austin now in Texas, and it's always interesting on the road here, um, which I've never seen anywhere else, but I'm sure, it, I'm sure it exists elsewhere. But on like some of these country roads, if you're going, a speed limit, um, you know, let's say it's like 50 miles an hour or whatever, you're going that, but the car in front of you is going 40, they'll just like gracefully move over to the side. And, you know, I'm used to that never being the case growing up in Chicago. It's just, you know, everyone's just in everyone else's way. But here it's just like, oh, no, I'll move, I'll move over for you. And so it's, it's always nice to see that kind of that courtesy on the road. Every city has its own driving rhythm for sure. I don't know if you've ever been in, in Paris, for example, but it's every man for himself. And, uh, boy, you better not step on the street in front of a car because it's going to hit you. <laughs> well, hopefully you've avoided that, too. Actually, Yeah, that. I definitely learned that uh, early on. You've just finished up the recording for the audiobook version. Can you walk us through what, what that process was like? Sure thing. Uh, I have a really good friend um, who owns a post-production company in Burbank here in California. And he built a recording studio in Hollywood. Uh, that he just completed, and he wants to do music recording, and he also wants to record audiobooks. And he offered to to do my book for me in uh, in that studio. And so uh, he found a young 24-year-old voice actor 
to come in and do uh, the reading, and he brought in a recording engineer to run the board. And my job was to print out a big copy of the script, and uh, I went through it and uh, highlighted all the emotional passages so the, the voice actor knew um, how to handle them. And whenever a, a new character came up, I would indicate the character's uh, personality traits and also if that character voice came up again later on so that he would remember what the voice sounded like. Um, and the voice actor's name is Josh Powers, 24-year-old kid from Minneapolis, but he lives in L.A., and he did 26 voices. And we recorded this thing over a period of three days. It was unbelievable. Wow. That's very impressive. So, so the clip that I sent you, um, it's unedited. It's not been equalized yet. It's like a work track. But I wanted to share it so that uh, the people listening to this podcast can, can hear the process. And what's going to happen is it'll get a little bit tighter in some areas and maybe some space in between sentences and others. And the levels will be more consistent throughout. Yeah, I know. The, uh, the editing process can always be always be a, a beast of burden but it seems like you're in you're in good hands over there and was was an audiobook something that you had always wanted to do or, or had you not really thought of it when uh, your friend suggested it it was an idea that was always in the back of my mind uh, the, the initial focus of course was on the written word but once um, it was finished and up and released back in May um, I was really pondering it. I really wanted to do it I thought it would be cool and it, it would give people who don't have the luxury of time or of sight the opportunity to experience my story. Absolutely. And for the people who, who have yet to experience the story, whether reading it, listening to it, uh, any other any other versions that are coming out of it, um, what what would be kind of your, your elevator pitch of, you know, 30 seconds or less, why they should be reading this book? Ooh, well, um, good question. <laughs> Basically, uh, the elevator pitch would be that this was never about basketball. It was a coming-of-age story of friendship and redemption, as seen through the eyes of Ezekiel Zeke Archer. He is a well-intentioned but troubled teen. Uh, compelled by his passion for basketball, Zeke overcomes extreme odds and triumphs in the face of his biggest challenge, which is saving the game of basketball for all of humanity. Um, the novel contains elements of magical realism and embraces unifying social themes that transcend differences and focus on the foundational qualities of basketball, which are teamwork, integrity, respect, and choosing to do the right thing. Very nice. I didn't time that, but it sounded it sounded like it, it fit within 30 seconds. But um, I was really trying to bring it in under 30. I liked it. I liked it. Yeah, and I, I you know, I'm a, I'm a big basketball fan myself, um, but I would, you know, totally echo the idea that it isn't really about basketball. There's obviously basketball elements in it, but there's, you know, if you're not a fan of basketball, I think you can still definitely enjoy this book. Oh, yeah, thanks. Um, Joey, have you played much ball? I have. I played in high school, um, did intramurals throughout college, and, and do uh, an adult league now, to more so to get exercise than, uh, you know, still be dominant at basketball. But um, there's there's occasional plays where I'll, I'll still surprise myself and turn back the clock a few, you know, a decade <laughs> or two. Yeah, so. well, good for you. I mean, you and I both know, because we have played, that uh, it's a learning experience. So you learn about the people on the court by how they react to situations that come up. And boy, you get a lot of insight into the human condition in, in general and the people you're with in particular. Absolutely. And it's it's uh, interesting to see, too, how how it can change from one minute to the next. You know, someone will get super, super fired up about a play. And then the next next minute, they're just, you know, shaking hands with you and being like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so it's always it's always uh, 
good to see that. And you do. I mean, I've I've developed some great some great bonds from it. So I definitely you know definitely enjoy playing. It is the great equalizer in a lot of people's lives for sure. It is. And so, are you uh, a Kansas Jayhawks fan yourself, or did you just have that as the the crux of the book, since it is such a, a mecca for college basketball? I'm a secondary Kansas Jayhawk fan, you know, primarily UCLA, and it, it dates back to the mid '60s when Pauley Pavilion was was built. Um, uh, Edwin Pauley, who was a UC regent at the time, offered to put up a million dollars if the alumni matched all those that much in donations. Uh, my dad was a UCLA grad. He was sports editor of the Daily Brew in the school paper there. And um, back in the mid-60s, he threw some money into the pot, and he later told me that it was money they didn't really have to, that they couldn't afford to do, but he, he understood the importance of building that arena. So um, what that entitled him to were uh, two tickets right there um, mid-court for, for he and my mom, and then four tickets up in the rafters that uh, my sister and brother and I went, went to all the games, and we rotated taking a friend. And so I went to every basketball game at Pauley Pavilion from um, when the arena opened in 1965 till about 1974 when it just was time to move on and do other things. The, the, the Kansas connection happened in the mid-'60s. My dad had this business colleague named Bill Kester. He was a KU grad. He won't come over to the house. He was a very animated guy. He was in the advertising business. He would sit down at the piano, and he would play this song that he wrote. Uh, it was a fight song that he wrote that the, the band would play during football games. It was called Roll Down the Field for Kansas. And uh, one time when he did that, he brought over a, like a piece of swag, um, a Jayhawk figurine that he gave me, and I was kind of hooked from that point forward. Very cool. And so when's the, when's the last time you've attended a game live? Uh, in Kansas? Uh, just, just anywhere, any college game. Oh, oh, I, um, well, it would have been, um, last season at UCLA, you know, the new season's kicking off. I, I, I go to a lot of high school basketball too. Nice. There's a really good high school basketball in LA. And so there's a couple of schools in walking distance from the house here. So, um, yeah, I'm always out and about watching somebody play, you know, I go, to, I, I'm a member of the local YMCA and, and I just enjoy watching pickup games there too. Yeah, I, I uh, lived in L.A. for a couple of years, um, and what I was always surprised. Like, any time I'd go playing pickup, there were a lot of high school kids there, and they were always just very good. And, I mean, I think L.A. gets some some pub as a basketball city, but there's definitely a lot of good good talent out there. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to be in Lawrence, Kansas, uh, November 7th through 12th. I've got a radio interview set up at the local business station there. We're going to talk about the business of uh, the, and the economics of high school basketball. I'm going to be signing some books and hanging out at some schools, um, you know, like lecturing some kids. Very cool. Do you have a little preview of, of what you'll be talking about? No, just kind of generally talking about the book. Nice, nice. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to be attending a game too. I should I should preface this by saying the company that I work for just underwent a rebrand, and so it was really interesting to see uh, the design side of things, which I have done probably the minimum amount of graphic design that you can do uh, over a lifetime. And so seeing all that, you know, all that went into picking out different logo options, uh, different, you know, website um, features and everything like that. Um, so I'd love to hear sort of the, the process of selecting a cover for this book and kind of what went into that. Yeah, sure thing. Um, I have a book producer uh, here in LA, a guy named Marco Pavia. 
And his job was to uh, arrange for the design of the interior and exterior of the book, to uh, design a website for me, and then get the file uploaded up to Amazon, both as an ebook and a soft cover. And I just basically gave him, uh, in broad strokes, how I saw the cover. And he he arranged with the designer to, to come up with that design. And boy, I tell you, it didn't take many drafts. I think that was the first thing she showed me. And uh, that was it. We'd made a couple tweaks and went with it. Um, the vision um, came through pretty readily. That's great. I know sometimes it can be like 90 back and forth. So that's great to hear. Yeah, it was really easy. I, was, I felt pretty lucky about it. So do you already have uh, an idea for a second book, or are you are you uh, enjoying the ride of this one for a little bit? Well, I'm kind of doing both. Um, I think that as a writer, to, to have the as much credibility as possible it helps to have a second book. So I am act- actually actively outlining a sequel to This Was Never About Basketball. Um, at the same time, I'm trying to keep the other one, the first one, you know, moving along. And every single day, I'm sending books out to people. I'm... I'm, I'm uh, you know, working the phones, just trying to get something going. Um, so I'm, I'm actually doing both right now. And uh, the, the reality is, for anybody who writes a book, and you probably, I'm sure you know this, that the person who's going to care the most about your book is you. Yes, and so that's... if you don't get off your butt and make things happen, it's, it's simply not going to go the way you want it to go. Yeah, and there's, there's you know, I've, I've heard this from different authors and have experienced it myself of saying, like, oh, yeah, I wrote this, or, like, I was published in this. And most people don't know. So, yeah, you do You do need to be getting out there. And, again, it goes back to the confidence thing. If it, It's not going to happen if you don't believe in yourself. So it's great to, yeah. great to hear that you're doing all that. Yeah, I believe in this book. It, it, um, every, every Craig Leanerism, any saying I've ever heard, anything, any experience I've ever had is in this book. If you look really carefully, you'll find the kitchen sink in there, too. <laughs> I threw everything in there I possibly could, and... and um, you know, the, the prospect of writing a sequel is daunting right now because I'm not sure. Um, I mean, it took seven months to write it, but it's really a, a compilation of an entire, uh, entire lifetime worth of experience. Mm-hmm. And the turnaround in a short period of time and write a sequel is um, probably going to be pretty tough. But I'm up for it, and I'm, I'm, I'm hitting it pretty hard right now. Fantastic, fantastic. And outside of writing and basketball, what are, what are some of the other uh, hobbies that you like to enjoy? Well, let's see. Um, yeah, I still do a little bit of consulting. I'm a, I'm a in human resources. I'm a human resources management guy, um, so I do some of that uh, just to bring a little bit of income and, and sort of stay connected to the profession. Uh, like like watching live theater and uh, hanging out with the dog, and you know, kind of a simple life with my wife um, here in the San Fernando Valley. Very nice. What kind of dog? It is a a Belgian Shepherd. He's a bit aloof and um, opinionated, but he's a very loving fellow. He's uh, he's twelve and he's doing okay. Nice. I don't know if I've ever. I don't know if I can even picture a Belgian Shepherd. It's um like a German Shepherd with a different kind of snout and maybe longer hair. Okay. Nice. Yeah, that sounds like a. I mean, really, as as long as they're loving, that's that's the key thing. Yeah, he's an okay guy. Nice, that's good to hear. All right, I always like to end with a top three, and I, though this book was never about basketball, this top three is about basketball, and I'd love to just hear the top three basketball moments you've experienced. It can be either watching something, playing something, living it, just what are your top three basketball moments? 
Oh, boy. Well, um, probably 10 of, of those top three are UCLA winning a national championship. <laughs> um, you know, there's nothing quite like that to experience as a fan. Um, well, I had an experience in high school where uh, I got in the you know, game at garbage time late in the game. And uh, one of my teammates stole the ball at half court. It was a two-on-one. And he, he faked a shot and passed it to me. I wanted him for reverse layup and missed it. <laughs> and uh, the outlet pass went out there, and he intercepted it at half court a second time. And this guy, his name is Larry Freeman. I'll mention his name. He could have easily, it was a two-on-one again, he could have easily pulled up and shot. I went in for a layup. He passed it to me a second time because he knew I wasn't getting much playing time. And I uh, had the good sense to, rather than go in and try to take it into the hoop again, I, I pulled up from the wing for about 17 feet. And I drilled a, a jump shot. Nice. And pro- probably my biggest thrill on the court. It was um, a good crowd reaction, and uh, the ball probably was no more than a six inches above the rim when it when it went in. <laughs> um, so that was a memorable moment. Um, boy, you know, um, I'm not sure I uh, I'm not sure I have one beyond those two. That's probably the best I can do for you. Sounds good. We can. Uh, I, I can tell you one more thing. Uh, in sure. September, um, I did a, I did this fundraiser uh, in support of the Red Cross's relief efforts for people affected by the hurricanes, and I donated all proceeds from sales of my book uh, to the Red Cross. And I've decided this being October first, and things aren't getting any better, uh, or much better it seems. I'm going to do the same thing in October. So anybody who goes on to Amazon.com and and, and purchases my book, this is never about basketball. Uh, that money's going to go to the Red Cross. That's awesome. That is definitely a top three moment, top one. Um, so yeah, <laughs> let's go out, go out and buy and support. Yeah, um, yeah. Thanks. Uh, and then uh, of course my website is this was com and from there you can find your way to Amazon. Fantastic. Any uh, anything else that uh, where where can people find you um, besides the website? Are you on on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any other social networks? Yeah, uh, my Twitter is at Craig Leaner, and uh, Facebook, um, you'll, you'll find me under the book's title. Fantastic. Uh, I do have an Instagram. I haven't quite fired it up yet. I'm going to probably need some help from somebody younger than me to figure it out. <laughs> it's an interesting beast. It's definitely different from uh, from Facebook and Twitter, but it's it can be a lot of fun, too. Yeah, I'm told I should embrace it, and uh, that's on the horizon. I'm going to be doing that pretty soon. Yeah, it's... I, I still like Instagram better than Snapchat. I know some people flock to that, but that just that just confuses the heck out of me. So I'll uh, I'll stay away for now. Fair enough. <laughs> well, Craig, thanks so much. Anything else I, I should have asked you but didn't? Boy, let's see. Um, if you if you live in LA, uh, October fourteenth. Uh, of course, this podcast is going to live on in perpetuity. But October fourteenth of uh, twenty seventeen, I'll be at the LA Public Library, Unipural Sarah Branch, downtown LA, from three to five talking to young folks about books and basketball Fantastic. and uh yeah that's probably uh, that's probably it hey joy appreciate you having me on it's, it's really kind of you to do that and i'm uh, all, not too happy to talk about the book and basketball and and you know ways to to make well it's a cliche to make the world better through basketball that's really the, the main effort what i was trying to do absolutely and i think i think you achieved it thank you Good deal. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to chat, Craig. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Joy. Be well. Thanks so much to Craig Leaner for joining us. This was never about basketball. Check it out. It's a great read. And 
all the proceeds going to help out hurricane victims is just fantastic. So definitely support the book, support people in need. And thanks so much for listening to another episode of Locally Sourced Joey. We'll get you out of here on this one. Why is the basketball arena hot after the game? Because all the fans have left. Get after it today, people.